Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 8, verse 4 through 15, the ESV version. And when the great crowd was gathered and people from the town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast to it in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. May God bless the reading of his word. Now over to Minister Jeff. Morning, Crossbridge. Welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. We're starting a new sermon series this morning that's going to last for the rest of the summer. And so rather than a typical sermon series that works consecutively through the chapters of a book, we're actually going to be diverging a little bit and spending our time going through the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And so in that sense, it won't be as continuous as some other sermon series, but there is still at least one common theme. And that's related to the title of this sermon series, which you might have seen on our website or social media already. The kingdom of God is like. You see, parables aren't simply short, moralistic lessons meant to teach us how to be good people. Uh, rather, you know, parables, they, they are short stories. They, are, they do function in some ways like an analogy. But Jesus is using parables to announce and introduce the kingdom of God to his listeners. These parables, as they're shared and spoken, they're meant to move listeners like us to reflect hard uh, upon what is being said. And so oftentimes, uh, these parables, they might point to what Jesus is doing. They might point to a new way of thinking about the kingdom of God. So sometimes it reveals the upside-down values of his kingdom. And in that sense, it does lend itself to describing how we should respond and live uh, but other times, it also points to Jesus' mission and who he is, you know, what he came to do. So as we work our way through the parables of Jesus that he tells in Luke, uh, for many of us, this probably isn't the first time that you heard uh, many of these parables. You've heard them time and time and time again. So whether this is your first time or, or your 500th time, 
I hope that these parables will, will cause us to slow down, to reflect on Jesus' message, and, and even to reveal the condition of our hearts before God. This morning, we're beginning with a pretty well-known parable, the parable of the sower. Uh, at least that's how a lot of our Bibles uh, call it in, in their section heading. Uh, but I think it's actually better understood as the parable of the soils or the parable of the seed among the soils. Because that's really what the, the, the story is about. And, and that's where our attention is going to be uh, this morning. Now, fortunately for us, as we begin this new sermon series, this first parable also includes an explanation from Jesus about the meaning of the parable and also an explanation for why he speaks in parables. And so, in fact, when we look at it, this parable, you might even consider it a, a parable of parables, a, a meta-parable. Jesus is giving a parable in one sense for why he speaks in parables. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We're actually going to start not by looking at the story, the parable itself, but at verses 9 to 10, where Jesus is uh, explaining the purpose of this parable or, or of speaking in parables. He says there to his disciples, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables. So uh, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So the larger point that Jesus is making is this, that God sows his people by sowing his word. God sows his people by sowing his word. Now, in order for us to see this, we actually have to go back to the Old Testament because in verse 10, Jesus is quoting from the prophet Isaiah. He does this actually a lot because in his parables, he, he packs a lot of Hebrew imagery from the Hebrew prophets. He's making the point that the story, the, the proclamation, the declaration of these Hebrew prophets, they're finding their climax in Jesus. So God sows his people by sowing his word. That's to say that God is establishing his kingdom in part uh, through the planting of his people by the sowing of his word. So turn with me to Isaiah 6, 9 to 13. And we're going kind to of look at the passage that Jesus is quoting. Now he's really just quoting from verse 9, but he has the whole force of this chapter and maybe even the whole force of the book filling out this quote as he speaks to his disciples. So in Isaiah, we see God uh, speaking to Isaiah the prophet, and he says to him, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. And turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the, the land is a desolate waste. The Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Alright, so What's going on here? You know, Isaiah, he's just received his call from God to be sent to, to speak to God's people for God on behalf of him. But God gives him a very interesting message. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. 
keep on seeing, but do not perceive. So if we were to look at this verse by itself, it's really strange. It, it even kind of seems a little bit unfair, and, or, or maybe to the extent that it kind of seems pointless for Isaiah to, to go and deliver a message that won't be heard. But if we are to kind of read the first five chapters leading up to this point in the book of Isaiah, to Isaiah's call and his commission, we see that Israel is already like this. In one sense, they're already far too gone. They've repeatedly refused God's appeals to them. They've hardened their own hearts. And so Isaiah's call is a judgment on an already rebellious Israel. Israel is already not here. Already not seen. And yet in his call, in his speech, Isaiah, his message, God is called, uh, Isaiah is called to urge his people to still stop being rebellious. Return to God. And so this chapter in Isaiah is, is the classic depiction of the refusal to hear. In one sense, the intent and the force of Isaiah's message has the hope of urging Israel to truly hear in a setting where judgment was already well assured. And yet, Isaiah's message, despite how bleak it is, it still ends on a promise of hope. Verse 13, And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. The holy seed is the remnant true Israel. God will keep his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He will still keep his promise to restore Israel. And so from this Isaiah passage, we see a couple of notable themes. You know, first we have this emphasis on hearing or not hearing. Second, there's this reference to the holy seed, the remnant of Israel. And so in contrast to the rest of Israel who lack the ears to hear and the eyes to see, the holy seed are those who hear the word of God. Now, when we go back to Luke now, Jesus gives his explanation for the purpose of the parables. Verse 11, he, he describes how the seed there is the word of God. You kind of see that connection there. In the parable, the seed is the word of God. In in Isaiah, the seed is true Israel, God's people. God is going to sow his people by sowing his word. And we're going to see that the rest of this parable, parable is all about responding to that word. But I think what's strange, and maybe some of you feel this way, is that in Jesus' explanation you know, that he's giving to his disciples, those who follow him, he says they've been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for everyone else, it's in parables. They don't see, they don't understand. And so there's this twofold function of the parables. The, the parables conceal and reveal. The parables conceal and, and reveal. So in one sense, they reveal the nature of God's kingdom. So for those who are listening to Jesus, it caused them to reflect on what he's saying. The parables showed what Jesus was doing, his mission, who he was, all of it was going to point to the cross. They weren't simply moral stories like Aesop's fables, but they held in them a radical message, a bold claim about the kingdom of God. 
At the same time, though, as Jesus shares these parables, they also conceal the kingdom of God to those who are closed-minded, to those who sought to kill Jesus prematurely. In one sense, it was buying time for Jesus to go to the cross, at the same time allowing him to make these bold claims about the kingdom of God, about the Son of God, to those who would hear, to those who would have ears to hear. So the parables conceal and reveal. I think that's why Jesus calls it the, the secrets of the kingdom of God. In our passage, actually, the, the word literally there is mystery. But a lot of translations don't actually translate it that way because I think perhaps the connotation of the word mystery is that it, it gives off the impression that it's something that is undiscoverable, right? Not understandable, not knowable. We, we tried, we tried to understand it, we tried to research and, and look at it but and think, reflect about it, but at the end of the day, it's a mystery. We just can't know, right? But that's not the case with Jesus' parables. And, and that's not necessarily how the biblical authors understand the word mystery. All right, it does require some reflection and some careful thought to what Jesus is saying, but it is knowable. It is understandable. So Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And so perhaps a, a slightly more accurate way maybe of describing it would be the open secret of the kingdom of God. You know, it's a secret, but it's an open one. A lot of people also know about it. And to know the open secret is to, to truly hear it. He, he uses the words here seven times in this passage. And what's supposed to be heard is the message of the kingdom, the word of God. So chapter 8, verse 1, it's not part of our passage this morning, but it's, it's setting the context for it. In verse 1, we see, Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And all of his disciples, the twelve, and, and many other women were there with him. This is the context for our passage. So let's try and, and now put together everything that we, we've talked about so far to make sense of what's going on. First, Jesus is going around proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God. Then, now as the narrative continues, the, the crowds gather, and you can imagine more and more people come together. They're, they're crowding around Jesus as he tells them a parable. They want to listen and hear what he has to say. And so he gives them a parable about responding to the message of that kingdom, the word of God. Then Jesus adds an additional layer. In his explanation of the parable, he goes back to the Old Testament, to the Hebrew prophets, to Isaiah 6, where we see Isaiah now delivering a message to the people of Israel. Except this people in Isaiah, they refuse to listen to Isaiah, a messenger of God. They don't hear, they don't listen, they don't obey. There is judgment and yet there's still a promise of hope in that message. God will restore Israel through a remnant. The Holy Seed, the Holy Seed being the people of God. And the Holy Seed will be those who hear the word of God. Which in Jesus' parable is the seed. God will continue to establish his kingdom in part by sowing his people. And so when you... Add this layer of Isaiah 6 into the mix. Jesus is urging the crowds to not repeat the pattern of Israel's refusal. 
to hear the messenger of God. Especially when the messenger, one greater than Isaiah, the son of God, is the one delivering the message of the kingdom now. And he also makes the point that, that God will sow his people by sowing his word. And we said that right at the beginning of the sermon. God sows his people by sowing his word. And so from this passage then, he's, Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom. God is establishing his kingdom by sowing his people through the sowing of his word. And, you know, this presupposes that God planting his people, it presupposes people who will respond to that word with belief and obedience. And, and thus in doing so, it also fulfills the promise in Isaiah 6.13 about the holy seed. So, this then leads to our next point as we get to the parable. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of the word. We saw in 8.1 that Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And he then gives a parable about responding to that message. He explains that the seed is the word of God. Now, in the parable, now as we get to the story, we see four different types of responses. The seed that fell on the path, on the rock among the thorns, and in the good soil. Now, ultimately, as we take a step back, there's really only two responses. Hear and obey, or ignore and fall away. So let's, let's take a look at some of these responses. And with the first group, we see that some respond with heedless hearing. Verse 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. There's one pastor, Pastor Tabiti, that writes, A war is being fought on the soil of every human heart. And so this first group, they, they hear the word, but they don't heed it. If a war is being fought on the soil of every human heart, then this type of hearing is a defenseless hearing. In a game of capture the flag, the devil has come and snatched up that which you have stored up in your heart and you've left unguarded. So some hear or some respond with heedless hearing. This next group, some respond with surface level superficiality. Verse 13, the ones in the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. As Jesus is uh, describing this scenario, it's not necessarily a field of rocks that he's talking about, but actually a base of rocks, a sheet of rocks, layer of rocks underneath all the soil. Because you know, during that time, in agricultural times, if, if the field is not plowed, it can be hard to spot the layer of limestone rock underneath the soil. And so the, the seed gets cast everywhere. The seed here, in this sense, gets planted. And it looks like it's sprouting and growing, but very quickly, the roots don't go deep. They hit that rock and they stop growing. And the plant eventually withers. In the same way, Jesus explains th this group hears the word and they, initially they, they receive it with joy. They have an initial positive response to the word of God. It's a positive response, but it's also a short-lived response because it's, it's surface level. 
It's not deeply rooted or grounded. And Jesus attributes this to surface level superficiality. Because when you think about this group, this this group in particular, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where whether we see the theology hits home or not. I mean, do you ultimately, basically, do you ultimately respond positively to the good news of the kingdom? Like how you respond to the good news that maybe a friend is getting married or a friend is having a baby. I mean, you receive it with joy initially, but a short while later, you're not thinking about it anymore because ultimately it doesn't change your life. It makes no difference to you. Jesus notes in particular that the reason why this particular group falls away is because of testing. And when we look at James, James has uh, something different to say uh, about joy and testing compared to how this group responds. With uh, with James, he has a different relationship there. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, James 1, 2 to 4, count it all joy, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so there, there's a positive relationship between having joy and being tested. That's you know undergoing trials or, or challenges that really cause you to think about who or what you worship what you believe. James says to count it all joy when you're testing because this testing produces steadfastness, faithfulness. So when you endure sickness and suffering, when you encounter job loss, that's why a huge light is is shown upon what you believe, what we believe. Does it all add up? Do we say we trust God or do we trust God? Does it change our view of God in his character? Now, let's be clear. This doesn't mean that as we encounter these difficult times that we can't have doubt. It doesn't mean that we can't have questions or anything like that. But I think what's going on here with this surface level superficiality is how we quickly turn from asking questions to questioning God. The psalmist and the prophets say, You know, they had questions. They asked, how long, O Lord? But at the end, they confess, not my will, but yours be done. But what we see with the seed that fell among the rocks, they receive it with joy initially. But that joy is gone with the testing. And with their fleeting joy also is their faltering faith. So some respond with heedless hearing, others with surface level superficiality, and now with this third group. Some respond with distracted discipleship. Verse 14, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. When Jesus describes this situation, the thorns are already there. The seed falls in the ground, but they share that space, that ground with greedy thorns. These thorns and weeds, they they take up so much space. There's not any room for much growth. 
Now, it's not so much that these cares and concerns are bad. It's that they take precedent over everything, especially God. And so what we see here is basically a, a crowded heart. Basically, there's no social distancing going on here. The, the seed, the word of God, there's no room to breathe, to move, to grow. In my mind, I, I picture one of the subways I took when I was working in China many years ago. The morning commute, all jam-packed. At one point, with the jostling of people as they try to fit one more person into that train, you know, my, my backpack slips off my shoulders. But it stays right where it is, way above the floor of the train, because it's held up by the numerous people pushing up against it. And so likewise, this crowded heart is choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. So much so that the seed can't grow. The fruit does not mature. So this particular group responds with the distracted discipleship. They hear, but as they follow Jesus, they can't meet the demands of discipleship. The cost of discipleship is too high when compared with the cares of this world. And as we look to our lives, those cares change as the years go on. And what you care about, what you pursue, what you're so concerned about is different as a 15-year-old than as a 20-year-old or as a 30 or 40 or 50-year-old. But all through those years, the root issue remains the same. Now, it's not as if Jesus is saying, you know, don't do well in school, don't don't spend your time doing hobbies. Don't try to find a good job to provide for your family or don't take care of your children. But it's that these things, in one way or another, the way we go about them, they keep us from maturing in faith. And that might be, at its core, because the value that we place on these things is higher than the value that we place on following God. So, in these three groups, we find that some respond with heedless hearing, some respond with surface-level superficiality, and some still respond with distracted discipleship. And, and finally, now we get to the final group. Some respond with fruitful faithfulness. Verse, eight, uh, verse 15. As for that uh, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. We've been talking about the message of the kingdom, the word of God. Jesus says in verse 8, uh, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I mean, that's a really kind of a strange statement to make, right? Because we have ears. What are you talking about, Jesus? To hear in the Bible usually means to obey. There's an action with that. It's to reflect on what Jesus is saying and then also to respond in kind. In the philosophy of language and linguistics, there's this thing called speech act theory. This theory basically contends that the, the words that we utter not only say things, but they also do things. So, you know, hence the term speech act. So, for example, you know, the bride saying I do on her wedding day to, not only is saying words of affirmation to the question, will you take this man to be your husband? 
but she's also doing something by her words. When she says, I do, her words make the action of committing her to her husband. And so in speech act theory, there's a couple of helpful terms to, to know, and it's going to relate to our passage. Locution, elocution, perlocution, three terms. So locution is, is simply what is said. So for example, your, your spouse one evening tells you, the garbage is starting to smell. The locution is, is simply that. The garbage is starting to smell. Illocution is what we verbally accomplish with what we say. It's the force of what is said, the locution. It's the, the speech act. And so when your spouse says to you, the garbage is starting to smell, the illocution, the force of that is that they're reminding or requesting you, take out the garbage. And lastly, the perlocution is what the speaker does to the hearer with what they say. It's the response the speaker evokes from the person who hears. Now that could be an intended response from the speaker, or it could be an unintended response. So if your spouse says to you again, you know, one evening, the garbage is starting to smell. You being extremely insightful, reflective, listening, attentive, having ears to hear, you get up from your desk and you take the garbage out. That, of course, is the intended response, the perlocutionary intention, the speaker's intent, your spouse's intent. Now, of course, that may not actually happen, as many of you probably know from experience. Your spouse says to you, the garbage is starting to smell, and you, not having ears to hear, respond by continuing to sit down, thinking your spouse noticed it, they'll take care of it. That is an unintended perlocution. Not at all what your spouse intended for your response. So, speech act theory. Locution, what the speaker says. Elocution, what the speaker does with what they say. And perlocution, the response of those who hear. Now, why does this matter? Jesus here, he is telling us a parable about the message of the kingdom, the word of God. That is what is said. The locution is the message of the kingdom. The parable, what is simply said. The illocution then is a call to hear and obey and urging to not repeat the mistakes of Israel because one greater than Isaiah is here. His name is Jesus and his message is good news. And so Jesus says, let him, those who have ears to hear, hear. The perlocution then is the response, our response of those who hear. That's a question posed to us this morning. How, how will we respond to the word of God? With this last group, he describes two major characteristics of the seed that fell in the good soil. Upon hearing the word, they, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart. They store it up. They also bear fruit with patience. And so with this seed in the good soil, there is faithfulness and there is fruit as well. I think um, what's remarkable is that as we look at the other three scenarios, two out of three of them actually responded positively at first. But it was short-lived. It didn't last. 
Now, perhaps by now, as you've been listening to this message, maybe you picked up on the word ultimately a couple of times. And I say that because when Jesus shares this parable, he's not necessarily talking about a moment by moment picture of how some of us receive the word at different times in our lives, but rather what the word of God does to us through the totality of one's life. Now, yeah, and you know, one implication from this parable might be that you know, we move from soil to soil, soil at different times in our lives. But the, the larger point that Jesus is making is that this soil represents the different responses as a whole to the word of God. Not the different responses of one excuse me, individual. It's taking one's life as a whole and causing us to reflect on this question. What is the single type of response to the word that I've given? And for you this morning, if even after a question like that, you, you believe you fall into one of the first three soils, then Jesus is calling out to you, urging you to turn to him, to truly hear him. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of the word. And God sows his people by sowing his word. As we close today, we're going to be spending some time responding in praise and in song. Our worship leader, Ted, he's chosen a pretty appropriate song of response. It's called Speak, O Lord. I want to close by reading to you the story and the explanation uh, behind the song. This is on one of the, the song's websites. One of Christianity's distinctives is that we worship a God who has spoken, who is not silent. From God the Father speaking the world into creation, to speaking through his living word in Christ, to speaking by his spirit through the written word. Throughout history, the word of God has transformed the most proud leaders and the most hopeless victims, the greatest civilizations and the remotest of all villages, in every age to every corner of the world. So incredible is its power. Often today, however, the preaching of the word has been diminished in value from its prominence in a service to its passion, but most of all in our own expectation each time we sit down and ask God to speak to us. In Isaiah, the people were performing many acts in the name of God, and the Lord said, This is the one to whom I will turn my face, he who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. It is our prayer that through the power of the Spirit, this hymn will prepare people to humbly listen to the Bible being taught and to respond to the huge consequences the Word of God has on our lives. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the message of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus Christ, for you have spoken loudly to us. We pray that by your Spirit and your Word, we would hear. We would hear you and respond in fruitful faithfulness, in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.